one of the things for me that I felt like kind of characterized my year was this idea of growing downward and deepening in my own soul, in my own spiritual journey, in my own life holistically. Um, I wanted to get a new experience of the kingdom of God, the power of God and the Holy Spirit in us, as well as to practice the way of Jesus, to walk in obedience, and to return to disciplines and practices that have been rooted in the church for centuries. And that's something I've also desired for our community as well. Um, But with that, I have had an awakening of a desire to press deeper into prayer. Um, I'll be honest, I am a pastor's kid. Some of you may know that. Grew up in the church, grew up in the Bible Belt South. I grew up around all of the cliches in the Christian church in the South, all of it. I know every bit of it, okay? 90s worship music, we can talk about it. It's no big deal. Um, I know it all. Maranatha music, I got you, okay? Um, but with all that, there was a lot of what I call spiritual fat. And for a lot of us maybe growing up in this tradition, there may be some spiritual fat. And for me, my prayer life... Um, to be honest, was simply just an add-on to my life versus the foundation of my relationship with the Father. Um, it was something I could repeat well in public. I could talk. I could pray at the table, no problem, like no big deal. But in, in, in behind closed doors, it was practically non-existent. And for me, my desire has been to press deeper into prayer. And one of the things I had to do in the last couple months was to change my physical posture in prayer. I found myself multiple times on my knees, literally, to change my physical posture in prayer. And I felt like, and and our team um, felt like it's important for us to begin to pursue what it looks like to be a community with a culture of prayer. And so we will kind of kick off our year looking at prayer and how to pray and why pray and what is prayer and anticipating God to show up and move as we seek renewal in this city together. And the greater prayer, which is a part of the Lord's Prayer, which we look at in a second, that we will look at in a second, is your kingdom come, your will be done in Greensboro as it is in heaven. Um, that is our hope, that is our vision, that is our desire, and that is our prayer. So, to kick it off, let's go ahead and jump into the text. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be at. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This is in the midst of the well-known Sermon on the Mount that we looked at all summer long in 2019. And right smack dab in the middle is where we see the well-known Lord's Prayer. I would encourage you, if you can, to go back. We won't do this today, but go back and read verse 5 through 8 at some point to give you some context of what Jesus is talking about. And also understand this caveat. I will also reference Luke 11.1 1 as well because that's the same encounter that Jesus has with the disciples regarding the Lord's Prayer. It's just written by Luke. So hear me out when I say that I'll reference Luke chapter 11 some in this teaching. Matthew 6, are you there? All right, here we go. Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13. Jesus is speaking. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We just sang this a second ago. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some late manuscripts also say at the end, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the church said, amen. Holy Spirit, come now. Come now as we proclaim the scriptures, the divine word. May we not simply process new information, but God, would you transform hearts through the proclamation of the scriptures this morning. Set the tone for this new year and this new decade, Lord. Help us to repent. For a lot of us today, we need to rethink our life. We need to rethink some of the habits and rhythms of our life. We need to rethink maybe even the path that we're on. And that may be why some of you are here today. But God, help us today to reorient ourselves, to root ourselves, God, to press deep into prayer, to be a community that begins to cultivate a culture of prayer. In this baby church plant, as we continue to mature and deepen our roots as a community in this city, Help us to posture ourselves as a community of prayer, solely reliant on you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you are wearing something you got for Christmas? Anybody? I mean, come on, right? Like, I, honestly, I, I woke up this morning and got dressed, and I felt like I was going back to school, you know, second semester. And I'm like, I got two articles of clothing that I didn't have in 2019. You know what I mean? <laughs> and to be honest, Jordan and I found ourselves in Myrtle Beach at the Christmas season. And Tanger Outlet was 50, 60% off. I'm just telling you, it was incredible. I don't know. But uh, I was just curious. Not part of my notes. But anyway, um, we spent some time in Myrtle Beach. But we were on our way, spent some time in Charleston, South Carolina. Anybody been to Charleston before? Beautiful city. Incredible. I was blown away. And one of the things that I noticed about Charleston that I loved as we were driving down from Wilmington, which is my home, down Highway 17 to Charleston, is you're going through Mount Pleasant, and then eventually you see this magnificent and massive bridge. It's the Ravenel Bridge. I got a picture of it for you to see on the screen. This is the Ravenel Bridge that goes from Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, into Charleston. I was mesmerized. I'm like, this thing is beautiful. And the picture doesn't do it justice. I've never been to San Francisco. Like, I've never seen the Bay Bridge. Like, I've never seen some large bridge before. But this was blowing my mind how large and beautiful and lit up it was. And I did some research on it that I thought was interesting. It's actually the tallest structure in the entire state of South Carolina. It's 573 feet meaning that it's actually taller than the Lincoln Financial Building, which is just over here in the center of downtown Greensboro. It's almost three miles long, almost three miles long, and it crosses the Cooper River from Mount Pleasant to Charleston. It's also the third largest bridge of its kind in the Western Hemisphere, the third largest bridge of its kind in the Western Hemisphere, and it was built in 2005. However, the bridge previous to the Ravenel Bridge was known as the John P. Grace Memorial Bridge, and it was built in 1929 before eventually it was taken down and replaced with the Ravenel Bridge. We have a picture of that as well. Yeah, on the right, you see it? It's like a little brother, you know? 
much, much smaller. That's, that's, the, that's the John P. Grace Memorial Bridge that existed um, from Mount Pleasant to Charleston. Year of this, this bridge. And I saw this, and I was just mesmerized at the idea of this, this bridge. And then it started kind of reorienting my thought process as it pertains to prayer. Because prayer functions as a bridge into communication and communing with God. Communing with Yahweh, communing with Jesus, the Spirit, the Father. Prayer is a bridge. Prayer is a bridge that functions in our life as a way to help us to communicate with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is what prayer is. It's a bridge that moves us from the natural and into the supernatural, from our, our earthly citizenship into our kingdom citizenship. There's an overlapping that takes place when we move across that bridge because the kingdom has been inaugurated by Jesus who rules and reigns. He's initiated his kingdom already and he's resurrected from the grave. So now heaven and earth overlap well, to where eventually they will completely be in the same space together. But for now, prayer is a space that we enter into where heaven invades earth. It leads us into a kingdom posture, communicating with our king. Better yet, with the Father, Jesus, and the Spirit. Faith, however, faith or trust, is the movement that leads us over the bridge. That leads us over the bridge. Prayer is the structure. Prayer is the bridge. But faith is the movement across the bridge. However... Many of us see prayer as something that we don't know how to do. Uh, we, we, we honestly are a little freaked out by it. We don't get it. Um, we hate to pray in public. Someone asks you to pray at the meal table, and you're like, I don't do prayer at the meal table. Okay? You know, uh, you may remember like a prayer you recited as a kid. Maybe you go to bed. You're like, I say my prayers at night. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. And then you have, like, your different translations depending on your theological bent. You know what I mean? Um, if I die before I wake. Anyway. Um, so you have these prayers you recite maybe in different scenarios. But for the most part, you're like, I don't get it. I don't know how. I don't know why. And honestly, I've never seen prayer work. You're like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Or we look at other people. When they pray, we encounter others' prayer life and look at their prayer life as if it is the Ravenel Bridge. Beautifully created, lit up, magnificent, seen for miles, strong architecture. And then we think, well, I'm a little bit more like that little small, less grandiose bridge that is not nearly as cool as the big one. That's what we think about when it comes to prayer. Because sometimes people intimidate us when they pray. We're just honest. However, what I've learned is that before the Ravenel Bridge was built, the John P. Grace Memorial Bridge was used for the exact same function, to get you from one place to the next to cross you from Mount Pleasant and into Charleston. It doesn't matter how big, how small, how wide. It had the exact same function. 
to get you from one place to a next. Now, before we get too deep into the structure of the Lord's Prayer, into the language, into the content, I want you to understand this. Prayer isn't about how well you pray, but whether it is developing or not. It isn't about how well you pray or even how long you pray. Because some of the greatest prayers ever written down in the scripture are just a couple of words. Final words of John in the book of Revelation, come Lord Jesus. It's not about how well you pray, it's whether your prayer life is developing or not. Are you utilizing this structure called prayer? Are you putting faith into the bridge and moving across? Are you taking steps forward? Everyone has been given access into the presence of God, into the throne room. Hebrews chapter 4, I recited this this morning in our morning prayer. Hebrews 4.16 talks about us going into the throne room of grace with confidence and boldness because Christ Jesus is our high priest now, where previously only a certain person could enter into the presence of God. But because Christ is now the high priest, we can enter into the throne room boldly No matter what you got going on in your life, no matter how 2019 was, no matter how last night was, guess what? Today, you can walk in boldly with confidence. But for for some of us, we're so caught up with the baggage from the past or maybe even the present that honestly, we can't even move ourselves to move into the presence of God. Or we don't think we are valuable enough to enter into the presence. And for a lot of us, that's the struggle. I mean, honestly, there have been moments in my life where I have consciously sinned, I've disobeyed God, and the Spirit's like, go into prayer. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. I just disobeyed the Lord, and I got conviction now. I honestly feel shame and guilt. And honestly, shame and guilt tends to be the lie from the enemy that holds us back from entering into the presence of God. But we may enter boldly and with confidence because of the blood of Jesus. Becky Terabasi, phenomenal writer on prayer. Highly encourage you to look her stuff up. She's a pastor in California. Says prayer isn't about, uh, excuse me, prayer like any intimate relationship takes time to develop. It does, can, and will change your life. This is a woman who for the last 23 years has prayed every single day for an hour a day. And people ask her, do you, like, do you for real, like, do you for real? And discipline myself that every day for an hour I spend time with the Father. What? Fascinating. Prayer takes time to develop. And all of us have access into the presence of God. Now keep in mind that in Luke chapter 11, the disciples asked Jesus, or they tell Jesus really, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. Lord, teach us how to pray. First of all, they address him as Lord. Interesting fact. They address him as Lord. He's also rabbi, and they are what is known as Talmudim. That is Hebrew disciples, Hebrew students, apprentices of Jesus. And they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus, in Matthew 6, says, this then is how you should pray. And by Jesus saying these words, the disciples saying, teach us how, it is alluding to the fact that prayer is something to be cultivated and practiced. 
It is something to be cultivated and practiced because when you are taught something new, you have to practice it to eventually master it. To where it becomes second nature. It becomes part of your normal rhythms. I remember as a kid when my dad tried to get me to start learning how to mow the grass for the very first time. Some of you guys remember that? You're like eight, nine years old. Come on out, little Johnny. It's time to learn something that's going to change your life and ours. Praise God, you know? And I remember I was terrible zigzagging. My dad's walking behind me, helping me learn how to mow the grass. It was horrible. But eventually, after I got to a place of, you know, some, some maturity and had some practice, I got to a place where I could understand the rhythm of it. Prayer is to be practiced. It's to be practiced. And I also remember growing up in my teenage years when I was learning how to play basketball, my dad would also always say to me that the best way you are going to make a shot is by shooting the ball. The best way that you're going to make a shot is by shooting the ball. The best way you're going to hit a baseball is by swinging the bat. I mean, I used to, in, 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 like, Little League, I would step up to the plate, didn't want to get hit. I would stand so far back, I wouldn't even swing my bat. I'm like, I'm up there just for a couple of pitches, and I'm done. Like, I don't want to get hit by this ball. Enough. I never hit the ball because I never swung. Some of you got a bat in your hand, you got a ball in your hand, but you've never shot or never swung the bat before, and you're like, why can't I hit a baseball? Why can't I make a shot? Why don't I see God move? Because you're not swinging. You're not shooting. You're not activating what God's given you. The best way you're going to make a shot is simply shoot the ball. Forget the form. Shoot the ball. I got kids I coach at the Y team. I, we have this dynasty we're building right now, the goats. And uh, some of these kids, bless their heart, their, their form is horrible. But I'm like, the only way you're going to make a shot or get better is by shoot the ball. Take some time. Shoot the ball. Some of you need to start shooting some prayers. Shoot some prayers. Don't get me started. Too early in the year for that. Ephesians 3.12 also says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Again, it's the idea of boldness. Going into the throne room with boldness and confidence. I love this very simple acronym that Pete Gregg in his book, How to Pray, which by the way, in case you didn't know, on our resource table, we have a ton of resources on prayer. On books, devotionals, kids' books, they're incredible. One of those books is a book by Pete Gregg, just came out. He's the founder of 24-7 Prayer, and it's called How to Pray. Literally, that's the title of the book, How to Pray. And he has this fantastic acronym that spells out the word pray. Oh, how simple is that? I'm going to give you a resource right now to help you out, okay? P, the first one, is pause. Pause. I love how he says it with his British accent. It's fantastic. Pause. Some of us just don't stop. Sometimes we need to pause. Take a second. Breathe. Inhale. The R is rejoice or reflect. Rejoice. Praise the Lord. Worship him. Put on some music. I found myself this past week, honest, a true story, in my living room, walking around in a circle with tears in my eyes, singing worship songs. Playing a song from the city harmonic that came out like a decade ago. I mean, I was just, it was crazy. 
Rejoice, reflect. A is ask. You'll notice in the Lord's Prayer, a lot of prayers are petitions. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. I mean, the scriptures almost command us to ask the Lord. Ask him. Ask him. Ask him. And the why of the word pray is yield. Better word is submit. Yield. Maybe some of you need to have a physical posture when you're praying. You need to move off the couch. You need to get out of your bed. You need to get on the floor. You need to get on your knees. You need to lay flat on the ground. Does that do anything? Not necessarily, no. But it's a a metaphorical image and symbol for your posture of your soul. It is submission to the Lord. Oftentimes you'll see Jesus in the Gospels look up to the heavens. Yield and submit. Practical stuff, guys. P-R-A-Y. And if you want the book, they're out there. You can give cash, the text to give. Take a book. Utilize it. Dig into this stuff. P-R-A-Y. Pause, rejoice, reflect, ask, and yield. This helps us with the how. Because, again, for a lot of us, how tends to be the drawback. In Luke chapter 10, this is the basis of the disciples' question, or really comment to Jesus, where they say, teach us how to pray, or teach us to pray. They want to know how, which means in what manner or way do we pray? In what manner or way do we pray? As I mentioned, Jesus was their rabbi, and they are Talmudim. They are disciples. They are apprentices. They're with him all the time, constantly. And up until this point in Luke chapter 10, they could ask Jesus things like, teach us to heal. Teach us to cast out demons. Teach us to turn water into wine. And some of y'all are like, I wish I knew how to do that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Teach us to turn water into wine. Teach us to feed thousands of people without Grubhub. Teach us to do these miracles. Teach us to preach. Teach us to teach. They don't say those things. Luke chapter 10, by that point, a lot has happened. They say, teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray. Prayer in this moment is elevated to being one of, if not the most important element of our entire Christian journey. And yet, delightful. Prayer is delightful. It's a delightful function of a follower of Jesus, let alone son or daughter of a loving father. Most important, it's elevated Very high in this moment because they put so much emphasis on it. And by the way, they're asking this, I believe, because they've seen Jesus have such a robust and developed prayer life. That's the one thing they're intrigued about the most is his prayer life. So they they say, teach us to pray. Henry Nouwen has this fantastic quote regarding prayer. He says, prayer is the center of the Christian life. It is the only necessary thing. It is living with God in the here and now. Again, want some great reading? Read you some Henry now and you'll be changed and transformed forever. Brilliant mind. But again, the question tends to be how? seems to be one of the questions plaguing followers of the way of Jesus. 
But I believe for some, and maybe you're in this room today, and I think there's probably many, that there is a fear that prayer leads to a place of intimacy where you and I lose control. And we use how as a cliche mask for the fact that we may not want to lose total control of our life. Because prayer leads to intimacy. It leads to surrender. Matter of fact, we, a couple of months ago, looked at Jesus' experience in the Garden of Gethsemane and his prayer, which I think is, biblical terms, is the true Lord's Prayer. This is the disciples' prayer, just so you guys know. Like, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, okay? You see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you just see the words, the honesty of Jesus come out in that moment because he has gotten to a place of total surrender. He says, if it's your will, I, I don't want this to happen. Take this cup from me if it's your will. Like, take it from me. I don't want to suffer. But not my will, but yours be done. Prayer leads us to a place where we don't have to guess at God's will. We know it. It leads to a posture of intimacy. And oftentimes intimacy puts you in a posture to lose control. And some of us are control freaks. In our relationships, in our job, in life, in our journey with Jesus, we are control freaks. <laughs> you know, we can say a lot of things with our mouth, but really our physical posture in life says it all. I've heard it all as a pastor. I'm sure you've heard it all too. At some point, you have to look at the physical posture or the way of life or the habits or the rhythms. But I mentioned earlier, a new year, new decade doesn't mean problems go away. It means you need to build new rhythms and habits that will reorient your life, to create space for transformation. And one of those is to intentionally spend time in prayer and pursue the intimacy that will eventually cause you to lose control. Because last I checked, you ain't got it all figured out. The world ain't got it all figured out. We need to lose control. We need to give over the reins. Listen to this. A life void of prayer tends to be a life full of control. A life void of prayer tends to be a life full of control. A life empty of prayer, void of prayer, tends to be a life full of control. And I can resonate deeply. I can resonate deeply. The how might actually be a cover-up for not wanting to surrender. I don't know how, you just don't want to surrender. Because the best way to learn how is to just start doing it. Keeping it simple. With a call to relationship and intimacy, we must communicate with the one in which we are in relationship with. Relationship with. Or it isn't a relationship if we're not communicating. It's simply a transaction. I used to, I used to work at a bank for a little while. And uh, I was a bank teller for a little bit. 
got to dress up every day. You know, it was nice. And I got to know a lot of people who came in. You know, it's, it's, like this, it's like customer service industry. I got to know a lot of people and their stories and the schools they go to and their kids and what they do for a living and their bank account. You know, like I got to see it all. Um, <laughs> some people, you'd be shocked. You're like, I bet they got a lot of money. They come in, that thing is like overdraft fee. Over, I'm, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, <laughs> some of you are like, don't laugh. That's me. Okay. Um, but I would meet a lot of these people and get to know their stories But at the end of the day, I never had a relationship with these people. They were only in there for a transaction. Prayer isn't a transaction. It's not a transactional situation. Prayer is an interaction. Prayer is not a transaction. It's an interaction. Put it on Twitter. Interaction. It's based out of relationship. It's based out of intimacy. One thing that we have to clear up is it's not a transaction. God isn't a vending machine. You don't push a couple buttons, it pops out like Mr. Goodbar. That's not how it works. It is a true relationship. It isn't a business deal. It isn't buying and selling. It is an interaction with Yahweh or with Jesus, with the Spirit. As Jesus begins to teach the disciples how to pray, which, by the way, I mentioned this earlier, it's, it's the disciples' prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer. We, we've given that title, but it really is the disciples' prayer. He's given the disciples a way to pray. He starts out the prayer by setting the stage, not so much for what is to follow, but to set in stone the type of relationship that you and I have with the one we are communicating to. That's how he sets this whole thing up. By setting in stone the relationship that you and I have with the person that we're communicating with. He says those famous two words, our Father. We could spend hours diving into this statement, our Father. The hour is so important because it shows that the relationship Jesus has with Yahweh is the same type of relationship that has been offered to us. Our means us. It means we. He is our Father. He doesn't start off with dear God. Though it's not bad. Some of you dear Godders out there. It's not bad. But dear God alludes to a transactional style relationship. Because first off, and I'm I'm obviously guilty of this, God is a title. God is a title, much like CEO, wife, president, CFO, dad, whatever. Like, it's it's a title. Not even dad. Like, it's it's so uh, impersonable. Dear God, plus, whenever you say dear God, what that typically is saying is that there's not much intimacy there. Because when you're communicating in a letter, let's say, which who sends letters a lot now? Not a ton of people do. Maybe you do. I don't know. But um, when you send a letter now, like if you're intimate with the person, you have a close relationship, you don't say dear so-and-so. You just say their name. You just say who they are. Because you have a certain level of intimacy. 
That'd be like me sending a letter to my wife. Dear wife, how odd and awkward. You'd be like, do they have any like, intimacy at all? Right? Dear pastor, you know? Dear God. It's a title, and God has a name. Father has a name, it is Yahweh. Scott McKnight says this, by calling God Father, Jesus focuses on his own relationship. He is son and the kind of relationship he wants his followers to have. Those who love God know God as Father, as Father, as Abba in the original language. John 1.12 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1.12, just a few verses into John's gospel. Now, when we read our Father in heaven, typically we read it this way in our mind. Our Father far off in outer space. Our Father far out past the clouds, like way out there. And that isn't the original understanding of what this means or represents. Heaven is God's dwelling place, which really simply means the universe. It means the universe. It has to do with elevation. It has to do with height, like depth. That is his dwelling place. However, throughout the entire biblical narrative, the posture that we see often is the nearness of God. The nearness, that he is close. We see that the most and is glorified the most in the incarnation of Jesus. He comes to us. He is what? Emmanuel. God far away from us? No, no, no. God with us. We see nearness all throughout the scriptures, let alone the sending of the Holy Spirit to dwell where? Inside of us. In our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Always. Always in the original language. Always. Isaiah 41.10, Old Testament. Fear not, for I am with you. With you. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. Nearness, closeness is with us. When you seek the Father, when you go over that bridge, you posture your heart into a posture of prayer, you will encounter the Father. You will encounter the presence of the Lord. Because it's a promise. When you seek the Lord, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart. However, a lot of us, I think, because of the weight and the baggage that we are carrying, we may be crossing the bridge, but it has taken so long because there is so much weight that is there. And it comes to a point where the Spirit of God comes across the bridge and says, let me carry that weight for you. Let us go into the presence together. But you have to release in order to be filled. Prayer draws us near to our Father. Simply put, prayer draws us near, draws us close to our Father. Not only is he father and close, but he is worthy and deserving of all praise, all honor, all glory. The word hallowed, which we read and we're like, what, hallowed, like, what does that mean? You know, 
hallowed is specific language used in addressing God. We really only see this word in the Greek twice, and that's in both of these passages. Hallowed means to make holy, to worship, to adore, to praise, to give glory and honor. It's the opposite of common. Specifically, in the commentary that I read, it's the opposite of common. If it's to make holy and unique, Yahweh is no common God. He is a holy Father who invites us to be purified in his presence. My desire, I'm going to get Christian to come on up if you can. Um, my desire for us as a community at United City, being the first gathering of the year, my desire is that we create a culture of prayer. And one of the ways that we are going to begin that process is by having a period of prayer and fasting in our community for 21 days, starting tomorrow. Now, some of you, maybe you grew up in certain traditions, I don't know, where you hear fasting, and you're like, mm, I got to eat my food. Fasting is a season of focused prayer, where you withhold something that is near and dear certain drink, I don't know, because that's part of your normal rhythm, you withhold that and focus your attention on the presence of God. And maybe there's a certain area in your life that you want to focus in on during this time. Fasting isn't something that is like shouted from the rooftops, because sometimes on Facebook, I'm on fast, just don't even find out, like you don't do that, okay? This is between you and the Spirit. And we're challenging our entire community enter into a 21-day period of prayer and fasting. We've seen the book of Daniel. Daniel participates in a 21-day, three-week fasting period. You can fast from social media. You can fast from Netflix. You can fast from your phone for a period of time. You can fast for a period of hours from eating during the day. You can do a specific type of fast like the Daniel fast, which is primarily eating nuts, vegetables, whole grains, water, drinking water, that's about it. But I want you to know as one of your pastors that I'm committed to this. I've never done this for 21 days, I'll be honest with you, never. I'm committing to it. I want to enter into the bold room. radically move in our community, see a manifestation of the kingdom of God. We want to see the kingdom come to Greensboro as it is in heaven. And then we will celebrate together on the 27th with a night of worship, culminating kind of moment of our time of prayer and fasting. For the first week of the prayer and fasting period, my desire for our community is to pray for personal renewal personal renewal for yourself, for yourself. And each day, morning, noon, and night, I would encourage you to create a rhythm. Maybe the first thing you do at 8 a.m. is you say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Or lead me, Holy Spirit. Or renew my spirit today. 
every day, my hope is our community is saying the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer out loud together wherever we are. Maybe it's in quiet. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so on. And in the evening, take time to meditate on some scripture. Or maybe you reverse some of those times depending on your rhythm. Great resource for all of us to, to look into. I use it every single day is an incredible app. It's called Lectio 365. It's an app based on Lectio Divina. It's a meditation, prayer, and Bible reading app that is incredible. You can literally have it on your phone in a quiet solitude type space and hit play and let it roll. It's incredible. It's like eight, nine minutes a day. Fantastic. But this is the direction we're going. Week one, personal renewal. The second week is praying for communal renewal. Renewal in our community in United City. And then week three is praying for citywide renewal. Praying for the city of Greensboro. Praying for the city of Greensboro. I saw New Year's Eve while everyone's watching the ball drop, there was a group of a couple of hundred people who had a 24-hour prayer session in the heart of New York City that lasted beyond the moment, that lasted beyond the time it was supposed to stop. Let's pray for renewal. Start swinging the bat. Start shooting the shot. Just do it. Get on your knees if you need to. Say, Lord, I don't even know what to say. I'm just going to sit in your presence. I'm just going to listen. Because it's a relationship, sometimes you listen. So what I want us to do is I want you to close your eyes with me. And as you close your eyes, I want to share this quote from Dr. Tony Evans, who has a book also out there that we're selling, Kingdom Prayer. Where he says, the bottom line is pray. If you're tired, sick, emotionally overwhelmed, pray. If you're on cloud nine and life seems perfect, pray. If you lack direction, pray. If you doubt that prayer makes any difference, pray. If the circumstances of your life are out of your control, pray. If the circumstances of your life seem well within your your control, pray even harder. Whatever you do, pray. Pray. 